Well, tonight we are going to do a little Bible study. And then we are going to pray for you. I am so grateful we have said great men of God. Reverend Johnson all the way from Oklahoma. In fact, you people don't understand. You don't understand the kind of anointing on this man. He comes from a place we call the Bible bed. The kind of anointing that is deposited, deposited in Oklahoma. How many of you have been watching Ora Robert? In the 70s, I, I was listening to Ora Robert in Oklahoma. And we have all these great men there. How many of you know Kenneth Hagan? All these people are in Oklahoma. You cannot be from Oklahoma and not anointed. It's impossible. And so if you have somebody from Oklahoma, ah, yeah, yeah. Tonight, I am sure that with him, myself, and my brother, we'll be anointing you with oil and make declarations over your life. And listen, your life will never be the same. Because God will honor his word in your life. So all protocol observed, all you great men in the front here, those of you standing behind the pastor, inquire what a wonderful job you are doing. And, and those who are singing, last night we heard Bobobo, this night we hear, uh, what, what is that called? Palace Spirit, but those chorals. When are we going to hear Panogo? Uh, mm, how many of you think Panogo should also come in? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, tonight we are going to look into the scriptures and we would, we would see where God would take us. But I'm sure that we're going to be blessed. At Life Changes Conference, we have come for God to change our lives. We have come for God to impact us. We have come to receive something that the rest of the year, in the next 24 months, um, next uh, 12 months, we want to receive something that will carry us. We want to receive something that will bring us to a place where when we look back, we can say, it's good, I went over there. Are you understanding me? All right, but trust me, friends. When you leave this meeting, Sunday, when we are done, you will not tell people you went to life changes. They will notice you went to life changes. I have two scriptures that forms the foundation and the backdrop of what I want to discuss with you tonight. The first scripture is coming from the book of Mark chapter number 8 and the verse 22 going down. Mark chapter 8. A simple way to find Mark is to rehearse Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark chapter 8 and the verse number 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Say after me, Lord Jesus. Speak to me. Touch my heart and change my life. I like the Bible. I like this book because the Bible says, and this book of the Lord, not the book of the tablet, shall not depart out of your mouth. Moses had a tablet and kept all the law of the Lord in the tablet and the thing broke. The first person who used the tablet was Moses. But we learned from him that when he fell, he broke. So he has no law anymore. Those of you holding tablets, the Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. That is why I always carry the law, the book of the law with me. Oh, no, no, no. Somebody think I'm making a joke, but it's a serious matter. I was preaching in Colombia. I was preaching in Colombia. There's another preacher. Came to preach. And all he has in his hands is gadgets. And his messages are on his tablet. And so... When he mounted up the pulpit, the tablet fell, and the stage was so huge. You know these theater stages. This tablet fell and found his way down, deep down the valley, 
So you can't pick it up. The thing has gone to the village. That day he couldn't preach anymore because the book of the law has departed from his mouth. <laughs> Say after me. I will be modding. But I'll still hold on to the ancient word. You understand? So Mark chapter 8, and we begin from the verse number 22. He says, then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. There are certain miracles and certain experiences. If you remain among the crowd, it will not happen. You have to be a little bit secluded. Took him out. There's a reason for that. It is not our point tonight, so we will not waste time on that. And the Bible says that he took him by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spat, spit on his face, eyes and put his hand on him, he asked him if he saw anything. I don't recommend this way of praying for the sick at all. I don't recommend that. The only person who is qualified to do a thing like this is Jesus Christ. And trust me, my name is not Pastor Jesus. I can't do that. How many of you have the courage that somebody stands before you today and tells you, I am sick. My eyes cannot see well. And you would remove your saliva you said in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit be your name will be in the newspaper so let's leave this for jesus to do jesus is qualified to do a thing like this say to somebody don't copy blindly don't copy blindly. But the Bible says that he spat on his face, his eyes, and he put his hand on him and asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hand on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. John 8.32 is a scripture we all know. John 8.32 is the scripture we all know. And I read. Better still. Let's read together. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you or make you free. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I want to deal tonight with the subject, theology versus personal philosophy. Theology versus personal philosophy. The scripture we read in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 22 following, gives us three very important perceptions. The first is, this man 
had no view. The Bible says he was blind, so he has no view at all. And there are many people in life that have no view. They don't have their personal convictions. They don't have their personal conclusions. Their perception is formed based on what others say and based on what others perhaps are doing. They don't have their own view. You could comfortably say that they don't have their own mind. Others are their leaders. And the truth is that if you cannot see, somebody has to lead you. And we have a lot of believers in the church like that. They are in the church, but they don't have their own view. So others are leading them. Whatever others tell them is what they do. They believe. So they can tell them things about the pastor. They believe it. They can tell them things about the brother in the church. They believe it. Because they, have, they don't have their own view. They are blind. And when you are blind, others will lead you. Jesus said, can the blind lead the blind? My answer to that is yes. Why? Because of the statement he made at the end. He says, they will both fall into the ditch. And many of us are falling into the ditch. Because although we are in this great congregation, with a great man, great woman of God, great leaders, wonderful servants, who are serving in respective places in ministry, yet we are blind to the good things that is happening in the ministry. Yet we can see the blessing that God has placed upon us or given to us. The magnitude of the blessing. We don't see it. You sit here right now enjoying church. And what you are experiencing here for you, you think is normal, is common. That everybody experiences. Go to other parts of the world. This is a revival. What you call common to them is a great revival. And yet we are frivolous and we allow others to lead us to play down on the blessings that God has for us. Am I being, being understood? So that's the first category of people. People who have no views. No view at all. I pray that God will bring you to the place where you will not be led by wrong people. Amen. The blind won't lead you because you are not going to be blind. Your amen is... Your amen is telling me you don't agree with me. But for you to have a successful marriage, the way you see your wife plays an important role, the way you see your husband plays an important role, because whatever, listen, gentlemen, you are going to appreciate it based on how you see. So if you are blind, you don't see at all, you have a problem. Number two, this man, when Jesus touched his eye, he had partial view. So, so he was seeing men like trees. That's what we call a distorted view. And there are people in the ministry, there are people in life, they have distorted view. Their view is distorted. And that's a very dangerous thing when your view is distorted. Because if you see men like trees, you treat them like trees because you treat things the way you see it. Your perception plays a greater role in the way you live and treat people. If you perceive me as good, you treat me good. If you perceive me as bad, you treat me bad. Whatever you perceive me to be is how you treat me. Yeah. 
And some of us treat our dogs better than human beings. Because we perceive our dogs as treasures. As it were to a human being. That is why somebody can release a dog on you. When you come, he released the dog on you. Because in his eyes, the dog is more valuable than you are. So, you can have a distorted view of things. And I'm praying that springs of life, we will not have a distorted view. We will have a, a view that is not what? Distorted. The third view that the man had is a full view. Jesus touched his eyes again and suddenly he saw men clearly. Well, Jesus did not leave him when he saw things distorted, distortedly. Why? Because he knows if I leave this man this way, his situation is going to be worse off than before. I shouldn't have even helped him. Because you know, when you are blind, others can lead you and somehow they can bring you to the place. But when they perceive that you can see a bit and allow you to go by yourself and you can't see well, you have more trouble than having than not having a view. Are you understanding me? So he has a full view. And having a full view allows him to express himself and to see how life and the spectrum of life is. Tonight, my prayer is that you are going to have a full view of life. And you begin to enjoy the blessing in this house. You begin to be grateful for the things that God has done through this house for you. You would see this channel of blessing. Yes, God is the source of all blessing. But he uses channels. And the church, Springs of Life, is a channel of blessing to us. When you build your house, you, don't, you build your house. I hope that applies in Ghana anyway. But if you build your house, the Water and Sewage Corporation is going to make sure that the water comes to your house. But the way he does it, he's not going to get a special water to get to your house. The water is already somewhere. They process the water somewhere. The water is processed somewhere. Whether in wager or whatever they have their, their, their processing plant. But you know that there are pipes. These pipes are connected intricately, purposely, to bring the water to your house. And so you can have all this connection and the water is in your house and yet don't enjoy the water because you refuse to turn the tap on. You can stand there all day and say there's no water in this house. There's no water in this house. This waste of time. The water is there. You've got to turn the tap on and the water is going to flow. But it flows through a channel. And when the channel is blocked, water will be coming but you will not have it. So we have to learn to appreciate. And the way we appreciate is by having a full view. Do you know why the kingdom of David expanded, grew? When all the women came and were singing her song and said, Oh, Saul, kill only thousand, but David has killed how many? Ten thousand. And so everybody came and said, Wow, we want to see somebody who killed ten thousand. One man killing ten. Wow, we want to see. We want to be part of of the life of this person. That is, these are people who have a full view of who, who this man called David is. The woman at the well. She went to the town and said to everybody, come and see a man who have told me everything I ever did. And if you study that passage of scripture closely, all Jesus told her about her marital life. 
You are four and the fifth one is not even your, your husband. The woman went and said, everything I ever did. That's the full view of who Jesus is. He start, she, start, she started off somewhere with the wrong view. What do we have to do with you, Jews and Samaritan? Well, that's what she was told. So others were leading her. So she, she, she didn't really have a full view of Jesus. Others were telling her who the man is. And she approached the man and she was using the same thing that people have told her to assess the man. You must not assess people by other people's view. You are making a mistake. You are blocking your blessing. So up unto now, Jesus now opened his eyes and said, if you know who is speaking to you, if you know the gift of God that is speaking to you, you will ask him to give you what? Living water that you will not come back here and draw again. Your view about me is wrong. You are treating this church wrongly because your view is distorted. Other people are telling you things. And that is what is forming your perception. Wrongly. Wrongly. And so, the woman went and said, Oh, now I see this guy is a Messiah. Is it the Messiah? Hey, I never knew this is a Messiah. I've been standing around this Messiah all this time. I didn't know. And I thought he's one of those men who is coming after me. So I was a bit, I was a bit arrogant. I make derogative statements against him. I didn't look at him as anybody important because others told me things about him. But when she had a clear view, she went to the town and said, everybody come and see. The man who told me everything I ever did. I pray that God will give you a full view. Amen. A view on your own. Amen. You see clearly. Amen. You understand clearly. Amen. Because your understanding is the premise upon which you act and win in life. Your understanding is the premise upon which you act. <laughs> and when you act and do things, you succeed. Let me give you an example. The Ethiopia eunuch for several years was traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. He had a need in his life. He believed if he goes to Jerusalem, that need will be met. He did this trip severally. That man was not a man who is, uh, put it this way, uneducated. He's not ignorant. That man is not ignorant because he was reading. The Bible says he was reading and you have to be educated to be reading. But when Philip joined himself to him, Philip asked him one very crucial question. Do you understand what you are reading? That means you can still read and not understand. And some of us, we are reading things here, but we don't even understand what we are reading. The whole lot of things are happening here. We don't even understand why it's happening. We don't even understand how things are the way they are. We don't even know why certain things are done and are done the way they are done. We can read all right, but we don't have understanding. And the Bible says that Philip began from that point and then gave him understanding. And right after he said, what? This is water. Then I need, just need my baptism. Let me get what I'm looking for. He has been looking for this thing how many years? But because of lack of understanding, he made a trip several years and never found it. Some of you are in this church for so many years and you've never found what you're looking for. It's not that what you're looking for is not here. It is here, but because you have a distorted view, you still can't get it. 
Some of us are in the kingdom for years and we still can't get what we are looking for because we have a distorted view of God and life. So our life is full of, our life is full of questions than answers. We have too many questions than answers. But if we know Jesus and we say Jesus is an answer, is the answer for the world today and you have Jesus in you, I expect you to have more answers than questions. Why don't we have more answers than questions? It's because we have a distorted view. We lack understanding. We lack understanding. There are intelligent people in this church. There are intelligent people in this country. Africa has intelligent people. But intelligence does not connotate understanding. Doesn't. Wisdom actually and information aren't the same thing. So you can be academically high and yet act foolishly. No wonder our legislation sometimes doesn't fit in our brain. We don't understand where somebody can legislate the fact that two men can marry. They don't have wisdom, but they have somewhat information. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And that's because they have a distorted view. And most of these countries that are following suit is because they don't have their own view. So they want to catch up with everybody. They want to be like everybody. You don't have to be like everybody. You don't have to be like everybody. If somebody doesn't like this church and leave, it doesn't mean you too must leave. That is my friend. Heaven, we don't go with friendship. We don't go to heaven with friendship. We go to heaven single by single. For each one of us shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He says each one. Not with friends. So you have a friend who will back you up with what you do. Now in heaven, that friend himself will back himself up. He has no time to be backing you. Is somebody understanding what I'm saying? So full view is important. A full view about things. I don't know how much time I have left, but your pastor always used to say, I'm not out of words, but I'm out of time. You always say that. That's somebody who has a bank of words and knowledge. <laughs> we call it accumulation of facts stored in the memory. I don't know how much gigabyte that is. Maybe it's, that, that one is what? Is it terabyte? Terabyte. Maybe 40 terabyte. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, in that scripture, I conclude, and I'm saying that we need another touch, like Jesus touch. We need another touch, like Jesus. Life Changes Conference has come to give you another touch, so you can have a full view. You can know, and you can understand that what God has done and doing, there's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. And we are not going to be like the people who lack understanding in life. We'll be people who have understanding. The Bible says that the sons of Issachar, they understand the times. And because they do, they would do the right thing when the occasion demands. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That means a lot of Christians are in bondage. They are in bondage not because they are not saved 
are not delivered from the powers of darkness, but they are in bondage because they form the wrong theology and the wrong philosophy. <laughs> and because of that, they stand at one place or they stay at the same place or the same level in life for so long. Life is lived in what? Stages, levels, and dimensions. God begins you with stages, moves you to what? Levels, and from levels you go to stages. I beg your pardon, dimensions. So for, across this building, across this nation, you will find people who are in the levels. you find people who are in, I beg your pardon, people who are in stages, people who are in the levels of life, and others who are in the dimensions of life. This is how it goes. Seven stages in life equals one level. Seven levels equals one dimension. Seven dimensions equals eternity. I do not have time to explain that in details. If you watch the life of Jesus, you will see all this. Because at the age of 12, he completed a stage. By 33, he has finished certain levels. From 33 up, dimension, and afterwards, he ends into eternity. So you see, right now as I'm standing here, you may be in this, you still be in the stages of life. Or the levels or dimensions. It's seven. Is somebody on the keyboard? Let's do this quickly. Time, we don't have the luxury of time for that. It appears like the clock even has stood still. I think that's the prayer of, of, of Joshua. Mm. Let's move on. Let's move on. You're on the keyboard. You know the sofa notations? Start from the key of C and play. The seven notes in music for me. You are, under, you are underutilizing the capacity of that keyboard. Put it a bit louder. You are playing eight notes instead of seven. Just end at the seven note. Yeah, that's all we have in music. The though he plays is still the first note still the first note so with this seven note you can have one billion music or even more just this seven note now start from the middle C and hit the seven note and I'll let you do something let's do that quickly the middle C the middle C and hit the seven note and then Add the first note again. Go again. Go further. Uh, it's a bit difficult teaching you. Further means continue your process. I don't need to repeat that word. Further. It means continue the process. You know. All right. Now, what do you notice here? You notice that the first, the first note always comes up again, always comes up again. But each time it comes up, it's on a higher octave. That means after first seven, it's over. You move to the next level. First seven over the next level. First seven over to the next level. So you move the stages, you go to the levels, and higher and higher and higher, you enter into dimension and you exit. You see, that's how life is. Nothing more and nothing less. Nothing more and nothing less. Now, 
This would happen to you if you understand what it means to formulate the right theology and the right philosophy. This will happen. Your life will see certain progress if you understand and know how to formulate the right theology and the right philosophy. Theology, theology is our interpretation of scripture. The way we interpret what? Scripture. I need to put it in a way you understand. Theology is basically our interpretation of scripture. Theology is basically what we believe according to the scriptures. Our fundamental interpretation of the scriptures is what we call theology. So in Springs of Life, our statement of faith gives us a summation of what we believe and practice. That is in Springs of Life. So every church will show you their statement of faith. What are they trying to tell you? They say that this is our basic formation of our theology in this place. But sometimes our problem as a human being is we are very synthetic in our approach to the word of God as it were to be devoted to it. So the synthetic approach to the word of God is the cause of our failure. Is the cause of our failure. And most of us, what we do with the word of God is to give us a private interpretation. When it comes to the word of God or theology or doctrine, a few things come into question. The first is the non-negotiable. Say after me, the non-negotiables. That means the non-negotiable could be that we are saved through the blood of Jesus and you can't have any private interpretation to that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one has come to the Father except through him. We don't need a discussion to, to, to believe this. This is a non-negotiable. The other is what we call deduction. So you can look at the scripture and deduce whatever you want to deduce out of scripture. And then the third is your preference. The preferences in that case means that in this church, when prayer is going on, we need three other people to stand there and pray with us. It's a preference. It's not a doctrine. It's not a non-negotiable. It's a preference. So then, I wouldn't be obliged to do that. Because that's the preference of this church. In life, you have preferences. But you sometimes use your preference to impose on people as it, as it were, as a non-negotiable. And then problems start arriving. Your deduction would not always be right. But if you think your deduction, which of course from your interpretation, is okay and you have the right, then respect other people's deduction as well. Are you following me? In every structure of life, people have, especially in the Christian community, people have theologies besides they have their personal philosophy. The trouble with us sometimes with theology, our theology is... The formation of our theology is not based on the non-negotiable. It's based on prefaces and deductions that we make. So even within the same church, we are going to have a lot of people <laughs> who have the wrong theology. 
There's a church, there's a church, there's a church, um, and that's one of our church. I went over there, and, and the pastor was telling me that there's a brother in there that doesn't take communion. Each time there's communion, he doesn't. And why doesn't he take the communion? Because he has some other theology which is not based on scripture. It's not based on a non-negotiable. It's based on the preference of a church background he's coming from. And so all the blessing that communion will give him, he's sitting in that church and he's never getting it because his theology is wrong. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's very important. So alongside our theology, we have individual personal philosophy. And that's a culture that we have as to how we do things. Your personal philosophy forms your culture. And that is seen in how you do things. How you run your home. How you, you treat people. How you treat your spouse. Your children. How you run your life in general. How you run your ministry. Your personal philosophy which forms your culture. Is how you treat and relate to your pastor, your elders, your church members, and people in general. Your personal philosophy forms the culture as to how you deal with these people. And, and, and God help you if your personal philosophy is wrong. God help you. Your personal philosophy is the culture that reflects on how you handle money. The kind of administration or how you administrate things in your life. How you order yourself. Many of us have no culture on our own. Mm -mm. We are tossed to and fro. We're not stable. We are not decisive. And when you are not decisive, it has nothing to do with your theology. It has to do with your personal philosophy. Because being decisive... It simply means that you have the ability to make decisions quick and accurate. But that should be based on certain sets of values. So the kind of value you uphold to is referred to as your personal philosophy. And so I don't know what values you have. That value is seen in the way you live your life. The way you treat people. The way you treat yourself. The way you treat your pastor, the way you treat your spouse, the way you handle money, the way you handle your hair, the way you handle your wardrobe will tell you how orderly you are. When I sit in your car, I'll see who you are by sitting in your car. Pieces of crumbs and everything everywhere. Some of us, our car look like Dodua Market. So when that person starts speaking to you about order, you're asking yourself. You know that statement they make in tree? They say, Quatre quasi obema ontuma. Bisaniti. Your personal philosophy reveals a lot about you. And so you must make sure that in life you put this together. Let me just run through a few things here and then I think we'll be, we'll be good to pray. There are people who don't have the correct theology. And the right philosophy. So their belief system and their lifestyle is concerning. They're Christians, all right. 
But the kind of things they do, the kind of life they live, in fact, when they dress, you are like, wow. After this person, the new has passed and the old has come. For them, it's like, behold, the new has passed and the old has come. I'm telling you. Some people can dress and when they stand on the pulpit, it's horrible. They are singing a nice song, but you can't listen. They are doing a nice choreography, but you can't watch. You have to bend down. Because they are airing their views. Hey, Edmund, be careful. You're on Facebook. <laughs> uh, you understand what I'm saying? I tell the ladies, if you wear something at home, personally drop money on the floor and try and pick it. If you can't pick it easily, what you're wearing is not for the public. You should be able to pick that thing quickly. But, but when you're picking, we have to get support system to help you. And, and, and somebody to be blaming views and all that. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, it's because of your personal philosophy, which is wrong. Your theology is wrong. Let me rush. Their belief systems and their lifestyle is concerning. And we know that. I don't want to touch on issues in Ghana that are in the church. But you are aware of them. Because media display these things to you constantly. Some of you are asking questions of some of the practices you see in churches. That's because these guys have a wrong theology and a wrong philosophy of life. So their behavior is concerning. So somebody will ask you to drink a kerosene and you'll be healed. That's concerning. There are preachers who will tell you that God said that she sleep with you so that your long-awaited pregnancy will come. And unfortunately, ignoramus are doing it. Their personal philosophy and their theology is wrong. Many are deceived because of that. You have to wake up. You must wake up and work with the non-negotiables. Because that's what is going to give you the foundation to build a sustainable life. The wrong you do is not excused before God. Every wrong you do is not excused before God. Another time we'll explain that. Number two set of people. There are people who don't have the correct theology, but have great personal philosophy, like excellence, uprightness, discipline, integrity, order, and on and on. So you see people like, you see a movement like um, Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> you see a movement like the Mormons. They're disciplined, order, excellent, clean, but they have the wrong theology, but correct philosophy of life. And so people also get deceived because they think the right philosophies that they are seeing is good. They don't care what kind of theology, but they follow. And that's why a lot of people also are led by a blind man and they fall into the ditch. <laughs> you still with me? Okay, number three, number three, people with correct theology but wrong personal philosophy. Correct theology but wrong personal philosophy. They have impeccable theology but worse off when it comes to treating people right. 
Their relationship with people is all bad. They are rude. They are belligerent. They are stubborn. They cannot be approached. They cannot be talked to. They cannot be corrected. They have become like little demogods on their own. Just because they have a correct theology but wrong philosophy of life. So they think they are gods. They walk everywhere like that. Nobody can do anything to me and do what I like. So they are in the church, but they are not in the church. They are like the scripture. They are in the world, but not of the world. So they are in the church and not of the church. They are in the kingdom and they are not of the kingdom. They are independent and isolated. They are detached and disconnected. They do what they like. As a matter of fact, when you tell them sit, they will stand. When you say them stand, they will sit because you thought they like standing, but they sit. When you tell them give, they won't give. When you say don't give, they will give. They are complete opposite to everything. And this is because they have the right theology, but wrong philosophy of life. And sometimes the danger with us as pastors, our danger and leaders, is that when the person has the right theology, we like to let him lead. But if philosophy is going to play out wrongly, and people are going to say, ah, look at his character, look at his life, look at the way. So we have a lot of conflict. And that is why sometimes we get worried and concerned about individuals who we know that the hand of God is upon you. We know that there's a calling on you and you have a good theology. But your personal life philosophy is wrong. So we have to shape you. That is why we are on you. That is why we are cutting some things off. That is why we are telling you the way you have made your face. You cannot win any soul. The way you are behaving, nobody will be around you. You cannot win people. You cannot lead people. You cannot become influential because your face alone is scary. So we come along to teach you to help you to form a personal word, philosophy which is right. Relating to people, be a people person, loving people, caring for people, cutting off your arrogance, even if your nose is up, go to the doctor, the surgeon, let him cut it down a bit so that you can get a low nose. I understand you. Now that's because if your personal philosophy is wrong, eh, you are going to have a lot of problem although you have a good theology, although you are called, although there's anointing upon your life, yet you cannot make a headway in life. As soon as you come along and you're a woman, they say, Alomo jata bai, alomo jata. And you don't even know that's your nickname. And some of you will call you Margaret Thatcher. But I pray that you have the right philosophy. Now I'm telling you these things, you can apply it everywhere because even in the business world, it applies. You, you, have to, you have to understand that our world is made up of all these things I'm talking about. You have the good product and so what? Your attitude will not come. Who will go to a place and they set nice meal before, the, before you? The place looks elegant, very wonderful, pretty, first class, but they treat you badly. How many of you are going to go there? Why? It's nice, it's hot, it's gorgeous, it's first class. Queen Elizabeth even eats there. Yet you won't go because they degrade you 
They make you feel like you are nothing. They don't respect you. They even upgrade their dog's position in their mix than you. How are you going to go there? If they invite you, you will give them a capital no. That's because their personal philosophy in life is wrong. Number four, there are people who have the correct theology and the right philosophy where both words amphobiously functions together. This is the point where you become pleasant and you can change lives and you can affect society and you can do great things and God will be honored out of that. And our greatest example is Jesus Christ himself. He has the right theology and the right philosophy of life. So when they brought the woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus said, he that has never seen, you throw the stone. Their theology says we must live right. Their theology says if you do wrong, you must be punished. That's the theology. But you see, Jesus said, my theology is correct, but my personal philosophy is correct too. I don't treat people badly. I don't condemn people. I don't mishandle people. I must give them dignity and honor and respect. So she asked the woman, now that they've all gone, because none of them actually was capable of throwing a stone at you, go and sin no more. Why? Because his theology is correct and his personal philosophy is correct. No wonder Jesus was successful in life. No wonder he was better off than the Pharisees. No wonder Jesus went up. But the Pharisees have correct theology, but wrong philosophy of life. If you commit any offense, you kill you. And I mean kill you. They have no respect for life. And so they didn't make any edge. But you will have the right theology and the right philosophy in this house. Now let me give you a few theologies. Maybe I'll just touch on a few. And then I would say goodbye tonight. Ha, a few theologies that you need to be aware of. The first is the theology of power. You must have a correct theology when it comes to the theology of power. What do I mean by that? How do I receive and apply power? How do I apply my gift? Your gift is your power. Anything that gives you a position that seems to be higher than others is your power that God has given you. When he says, I give you all power the word all power in fact in the greek the greek word power has a lot of anomalies coming along with it it's not just referring to dunamis or exosia or kratos there are many other words that are used as power and all these words that combination reveals to us that when we're talking about your theology of power we are looking at where you are strong your strength you're strong where you're strong and many of us, because the theology of power is wrong, we use the power to enslave people. We use our power to enslave people, dominate people, maltreat people. <laughs> and we see that when people are highly anointed or highly gifted, you see the way they treat people. Too bad. Because their theology of power is wrong. They use it to manipulate Especially when in the church, they used to manipulate, they used to, to control. Power is given for help. That you can help other people, that you can encourage other people, that when other people are going down, you can lift them up. Every power that God gives to you in terms of gift, in terms of money, in terms of anointing, is meant for the development of people. Are you understanding me? So use your gift constructively to help build the church. 
Use your gift constructively. Don't manipulate the pastor with your gift. No. Don't manipulate him with your worth. Don't manipulate your friends. Because you have power, you are gifted. Don't you know that I am the prophet? No, it's not needed. So they use power wrongly to manipulate. And what you see on the, on the, on the, on the TV screens is horrible. That this guy, I'm not mentioning his name, but you know, he's just doing some horrible things in this country. And, and I'm like, what's going on with this guy? What's going on with this guy? Does he have eight eyes and we have only two? So he can see more than we do? He has six ears, we have only two, so he hears a lot. And tell people things. Amazingly, people follow. But how can a blind man? Yes, a blind man can lead the blind people. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a serious issue. I don't know how you folks take it over here, but this is seriously serious. Extremely serious. Power is being used wrongly. His, his theology of power is distorted for control, extraction, extortion, manipulation. But trust me, power is given to assist people and to build people. Number two. Number two. And the clock is saying, get ready to give up. Your philosophy of, your theology of time, I beg your pardon. The theology of time, the theology of time is when, is when, when certain things happen. When do certain things happen? Or when do I make some moves in life? You know God works with God works with timing. Ecclesiastes 3 1 says, There is time for everything. So speaking about Joseph, he says, Before the word of the Lord came, what tried him? The word of the Lord tried him. Your philosophy of time, your theology of time, I beg your pardon, is what is gonna help you to exercise patience and do away with worry and anxiety. Some of us, we want to make happen what should happen in the future. We want to make it happen now. So you sell yourself out for it. The prodigal son is an example. He pushed for things that should happen in the future to happen now. He said, Father, my, my, my inheritance, I want it now. But don't push for things that should happen in the future to happen now. Because it's premature. And everything that you give birth to prematurely will be on a life supporting machine. Some of you are pushing for things you shouldn't be pushing for. They are meant for the future. Your promotion will come to be a pastor, a leader, or whatever. You don't need to push for things that must happen in the future to happen now. You'll be in trouble. Don't buy a car. It's for the future. It's not for now. And so you know what we do? Lack of patience. We get debts. We go into debts. Borrow monies from places we shouldn't borrow. Now that's because we want to push for the future to happen now. It's wrong. You don't live your life that way. Make sure you wait on the Lord. 
Make sure you wait on his timing. For in his time, he makes all things beautiful. I'm sure if, if, if our pastor, Pastor Kuban, should have married before that time he married, today there will be trouble. Marry at the light time. Some of you are rushing to marry. You're rushing to marry. Mr. Manyi, I'm tired. I'm going to marry. I'm going to marry. I'm going to marry. And you go and marry the devil's cousin. You marry the devil's cousin. And then he tell you, I'm not going to stop you from going to your church. You can go, but don't force me to go. You can go. As long as uh, you can go, but don't force me to go. That is the devil's cousin for you. Because the devil himself, he resists you. But his cousin doesn't. He lets you go. But he won't go with you. He won't go with you. So don't push for things that should happen in the future to happen now. That's number two. Number three, the theology of place. The theology of place. Where God has called you to be. Where God has placed you. Where God has designated for you to minister and operate. And for all of us in this church, we must understand that the theology of place is a key to our development and our success. If this church is your place, that's where God has called me to be. That is where he has called me to operate. That is where he has called me to minister. That is where he has called me to serve. So my theology of place is right. That is why I am not here in Ghana. I am there where God has placed me because I understand the theology of place. Even if it is a tough ground, I am still there because that is where he has put me. And out of that place, out of that place, very small, very tiny, very difficult, I am going everywhere in the world by the grace of God because of the theology of place. Some of you are moving out of this church prematurely. Your theology of place should be correct. That's where God has planted you. And if you are rootless, you'll be fruitless. So even God tells us to be planted in the place he has planted us. That's what we call the theology of place. So I come to Ghana and, and things are nice and things are nice, it looks nice. Hey, I go back. I say, hey, treasure, let's go back home. Ghana is good. By the time you get here and settle, Ghana will tend to be bad. And you want to go back again. So many people are going back and forth. They are living in Germany and all of a sudden, ah, Britain is good. Ooh, and you go to Britain. You are in Britain, 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 Britain. doesn't Britain you. You run, hey, America. You go to America, America to America. You, I go to Canada. Canada, Canada, you, and you go back to Ghana. So for 60 years, you have room. You are, you, are, you, are, you are a personal life ambassador. You have gone everywhere in the world. And yet you have nothing to show in your life. Because your theology of place is wrong. You are born again for three years. And you have visited 30 churches. Three years, 30 churches. Your theology of place is wrong. No. And you wonder why there's no fruit. You wonder why things are not happening. You wonder why things are not coming forth. I tell you, your theology of place is wrong. Because when the temple was dedicated, God said, and in this house, every prayer that is prayed, I will answer. In other words, if people were in that house and they decide to move to that house, they would not get prayers answered. 
Oh, it's the same God. No, it's the same God, but the same God gave the rules. That is why you say it's the same God, the same God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know about ball games? Basketball, football. You know about the ball games? Basketball, football, handball. They are all ball games, but the rules are different. In basketball, the rules are different. Handball, you can catch the ball with your hand. If you kick it with your foot, it's a foul. Football, if you catch it with your hand, it's a foul. If you kick it with your foot, it's right. They are all ball games. So, you must know where you are planted. If you are planted in a place of basketball, go by the rules. If you are planted in a place that is handball, go by the rules. Don't say, no, it's a ball game. So, me, I'll use my hand. Okba. The foul will be the foul will be too much. Very soon you get a red card. And you'll be sitting on the bench. And you'll be saying, I wish, I wish, I wish. You can wish because if wishes were horses, beggars, if you will be riding on them. I'm trying to teach you to understand that your theology of place is important. And I guess that's number two. Number three. Come again. It's number four. Eh? All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Theology of place. Theology of time. And number five. Number four. What is happening to you, Edmund? Get up. I think I'm in a hurry to go home. The theology of purpose. What is my mission in life? Why am I here? Why am I here in this church? Why did God put me there? Why am I here? We have to become like Mordecai. For you don't know that God has put you there in such a time like this. Esther did not understand the theology of what? Purpose. <laughs> so she was going to miss out on a great, great opportunity to become a leader of a deliverance movement, a liberation movement, popular. Her name would never have been written in the Bible. If it hasn't been Mordecai, his great counselor, that made her got the theology of purpose right. Your theology of purpose, why are you here? What are you doing? Your mission in life. It also refers to your method methodology. These are essential in life so that you can understand and maximize your time wherever you are. Because if you don't, you waste time at the place where God has put you. And purpose is never fulfilled. Theology of purpose. Number five. Number five. Number five. Theology of people. Theology of people. Theology of people. Now, people you incorporate into your life is crucial. If you're going to succeed in every quest in your life. Nobody is created to be an island. In fact, in the beginning, God created only one and stopped creating one and make sure that people were in twos. Because the Bible says, whatsoever God has joined together, let no man put us under. You only hear this quoted, this scripture quoted, quote only at weddings. But there are many things God has joined together. Praise and worship. Titan offering. <laughs> Prayer and fasting. I have a long list of many things God has joined together. <laughs> so you are putting us under praise and worship. You are putting us under prayer and fasting. 
You can't. Tight and offering. Don't put us on that. What God has joined together, do not put. Paul and Silas, they were joined together. Priscilla and Aquila. What God has joined together, let no man put us on that. Peter, Jones, John, and James. God has joined together. Don't put them as on that. <laughs> you understand? Because you understand the theology of people. Because now I'm in the company of Peter, Jones, and James. I cannot separate myself. Because God joined us together. Separate to me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work of God. That is understanding the theology of people. Oh, I can work with everybody. everybody. No, no, no. God joins you together. God joins us together. That is why Paul and Silas. And a lot of people thought that Paul's wife was called Silas, Auntie Silas. <laughs> but Paul's, Paul's wife is not Silas. They were ministry partners. Hallelujah. I had that argument in, 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 in Germany with somebody. I laughed my head off. He said, you are preaching. You say Paul never married. I know his wife. His wife is called Silas. The Bible says Paul is Silas. And I was like, I was laughing. But I said, like, this man is just completely out of place. His theology is all wrong. But he was confident and bold and was courageous saying that ah, Paul has a wife called Salat. People are important in your life. The absence of people in your life is a sign that you are dead. So if you say that me, I don't, I don't want anybody, I want to be on my own, then you are trying to die. There is no life in the absence of people. Everywhere you go, there are people. Everywhere on the, world, on the planet, there are people. You cannot live your life alone. People must come along for you to live your life. That because you don't only have strength, you have weaknesses. Because you are a homo sapien. And, and, and the weakness that Adam and Eve introduced also entered into you. That's why Paul said that we, we have not come to the plagues where we, we, are, we are glorified like we ought to be. But when Jesus comes, as he is, so shall we be. That means there's some weakness still in our body as humans. And because God knows that weakness poses limitation and inhibits our progress, he sends people to us. So we need to learn to relate. We need to learn to what? Relate. Relate very well. Relationship is like an elevator. Either take you up or bring you down. So when you are entering into relationship, you have a series of questions you must ask. Are you understanding me? Before you enter into it. Your theology of people must be right too. Trust me. If you have it wrong, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Because people come with strength to replace your weakness. In life, if you are going to be successful, delegate your weakness. Delegate, learn to delegate your weakness. And you will be very successful. <laughs> Relationship is in three levels. The first is alliance. The second is allegiance. The third is covenant, which is the highest form of relationship. God always creates a covenant when it comes to relationship. He had a covenant relationship with us. And so every relationship God wants us to have has to be a covenant relationship. For example, the married relationship is supposed to be a covenant. 
And covenant relationship is the highest of all relationship. Why is it a covenant? Because it takes care of your weakness. When you weak, the strength of your covenant brother or sister covers you up over there. And so we live a life where there are people around us and those people around us are not supposed to be liabilities, but they are supposed to be what? Assets. Assets. I have decided to maintain good relationship. Like our pastor, Pastor Kuba, and the wife. Good relationship. You know why? Because it's my social equity. Good relationship is a social equity. And I can tell you that your degree can take you to places. Say amen to that. Amen. Your gift can take you to places. Say amen to that. Amen. But there's a place in life your gift cannot take you. Your talent cannot take you. Your degree cannot take you. It's your relationship that will take you there. It's a place your relationship will take you. Are you understanding me? Right now as I'm standing here, perhaps I am gifted. Perhaps I'm anointed. Perhaps I am all-knowing but not almighty. But whatever. But I can never go and see the president. I can see I'm also a Ghanaian, but that doesn't qualify me to go and see the president. Oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm a good man. Good man doesn't qualify you to see the president. So with all that I can have, I, I can't go see the president. It's impossible. But if I have a friend who works in his office, I just go see the president whether I have a degree or not. In fact, even if I haven't brushed my teeth, I will still be able to see the president. And that is not my degree who brought me there. It's not my talent. What brought me there is relationship. So it's my social equity. Listen to me. You need to understand that relationship is important. Put a high premium on relationship. Maintain good relationship. And your relationship with the set man in the house, the wife, the leadership, and one another. Because they are social equity. What that will do for you, your degree can't do for you. can do for you quite a number of people who don't understand that and they believe that they are gifted they can sing and so they run off their pastor and they don't respect and they go other places singing somebody is calling me ah, pastor, can we come and sing i said who are you i want to talk to your pastor never call again you can be gifted but if you're not in good relationship, we can't talk to your pastor about you. Your gift is good. Your gift is in its professional state. And yet you have no platform because you have bad relationship with your pastor. Your gift can be in its still patriotic state, but you still have big platform because you have good relationship. You're not qualified, but your relationship qualifies you. Are you understanding me? Yeah. You can be stranded somewhere. You call your pastor. Your pastor says, hold on, give me two minutes, I'll call you back. And when he finishes, he says, dial this number, you'll be helped. Relationship. And all of a sudden, your whole problem has become opportunity for enjoyment and blessing. Solutions for you. Because your social equity is making a way for you. 
Do you know why we are all enjoying in the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ. That is why the only way you can enter into the kingdom and enjoy kingdom benefit is a relationship with Jesus Christ. For all your righteousness is as filthy as filthy rag. But the Bible says, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. For we are justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So now I can stand before God. I can enter into the presence of God unhindered. I have an unhindered access into the kingdom of God. And to enjoy all the things because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when the scripture says that for my grace are you saved not by works, this is what he's talking about. And for some of us, we prefer works to help us. Some of the struggle we are going through is not called for. Our relationship can eradicate them. Hallelujah. So your theology of people must change. And you must understand that everybody that walks into your life has a purpose, has a place in Jesus' name. Let's be on our feet. I think it's enough. Say after me, Mephibosheth. Went into the palace. You know why? Because of relationship. David said, is anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? For the sake of Jonathan. He was very clear about that. Because of Jonathan. I want to do it. I don't care who it is. I don't really care who it is. I don't really care who it is. But as long as he's related to Jonathan in the house of Saul. I'm ready to show kindness to him. A man who had, who had troubles in his life. Low the bar. Down. Nothing was working for him struggling in life even water to drink he didn't have and that is what you call the precious liberty i wasn't there but i know water to drink he didn't have he wears shoe without socks he didn't have to brush he was using kucha and chewing stick i'm telling you his hair was never combed because Oselepo, he cannot buy but the Bible says that they collected him from Lodabar and brought him. And guess where they brought him to? Guess where? Guess where? Guess where they brought him to? Into the palace. The palace. Not just the palace. Also on the banqueting table. They did not give him a menu. They gave him a table. Buffet. Never qualify for it. And what really blows my mind. He was lame couldn't walk but when you see people sitting around a table you never know whether they have legs or not god will cover your weakness that weakness is covered all this happened because of what relationship their theology of people was right their philosophy of people is right don't say i'm anointed no 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 Yes, you are. But your theology of people is wrong. So your struggle will not end. 
but tonight is ending i said tonight is ending 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 can i prophesy to somebody tonight is ending tonight is ending tonight is ending you are not going to struggle one day further because your relationship will speak for you i said it will speak for you it will speak for you who you are relating to will speak for you it will change your level 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 your level will change because of relationship your level will change things will begin to happen where they say no they would turn and say yes oh they would even ask you you should have told me that you were related to this person you should have told me i said you should have told me why because there's somebody you are relating to and i say to my daughter because of my social equity you will never suffer in life i said to her you know what the word called poverty you will never find it in your life the only place you find it is in the dictionary i said to her i said listen don't be greedy just study don't work just just he said why i said that thing called poverty no that word you will never find it in your life you will never find it because we have social equity you step on the continent of south, south america they'll take off you Africa, they will take off you. United States, they will take off you. Here in Europe, they will take care of you because of relationship. Listen to me. There is a place your relationship will bring you that nothing on this earth will do. And I'm submitting to you, don't kick against long-standing relationship and disappear like that. Don't become a vapor that appears today and tomorrow disappear. Say to yourself, I am not a double-minded man. I'm a single-minded man and I'm not a vapor. Some of our church members have become submarines. Some Christians are submarines. They are the Russian submarines. They go under and they don't see them for years. And then they surface a bit. They check the waters. They go down again. Say I'm not a submarine. Come on, scream it. I'm not a submarine. I am not a submarine. I know. I know, I know, I know that you are qualified for a blessing. But somehow there is a problem somewhere with the theology you have in life. It's a problem somewhere. And your life philosophy is robbing you of the best of God. This year at Life Changes Conference, you are coming back. I mean, you are going back, change, transform. Your mind is set on the right thing. You are going back with the right philosophy and the right theology. Your understanding is being deepened and you will never broke one day in your life. No, I say you'll never be broke one day. You'll never be broke one day. How does it feel that you can travel without money in your pocket, but you come back fine? You have no debt, you have no problem. Why? Because relationship will take care of you. It's an investment that doesn't run out. The sure security investment, investment with a sure security, thousand or thousand times everlasting guarantee, is what I'm telling you. It's what I'm telling you. It's what I am saying. There are people who walk some places and they go and they are asking for some favors and the pastor is my friend and calls me one happened recently and i told my wife do you think i should say yes or no because these ones they have not been treating us well 
It's just work on us. I ask her, do you think I should say yes or no? Because if I say no, that thing will be done. She looked at me. He says, God is a God of just, but he's still a God of mercy. And I said, this is just the woman's view. It's woman thing. Their womb always give them compassion. <laughs> I called the guy. I said, just go ahead. It was done. You know why? Because relationship can lock doors or unlock doors. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Because right now, you are not seeing far. You are only seeing your immediate environment. You are seeing this building like this. But give us five years, okay? Give us five years. Give us ten years. And you will notice. You will notice. That even the seat you are holding, you can't hold it. Some of you are sitting very close. Close proximity to the past. But perhaps in 10 years, give us time. Your seat will be at the back. Because your theology of people and relationship, your theology of power, your theology of time and place is all distorted. Didn't you see that the scripture said the race is not for the swift? And the battle is not for what? The strong. But time and opportunity happens to them all. But when it happens to you, what will help you make it is the theology and the philosophy of life you have. Combine them, you'll be okay. And God will make you what you want. Lift up your two hands. Lift up your Jehovah we praise you. Lift it up. Jehovah now. Jehovah, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. We praise you.